Are you ready now? Yes. Say goodbye, Toto. Yes, I'm ready now. Then close your eyes and tap your heels together three times. And think to yourself, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place Wake up, honey. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Oh, Annie M. There's no place like home. Classic, right? It's like the most one of the most iconic moments in all of movie history. It's it's a, you know it's it's kind of a, a, a simple but but classic moment. You've got the the ruby red shoes. You've got the trippy music. You've got the the overplayed early Hollywood drama, right? It's it's just it's classic. But but in addition to it being one of those iconic moments that we recognize from movie history, it also has a component to it that touches our our humanity at its kind of a, a core level. And that's this idea that we desire a home. We desire a, a place that we call home. We desire a place that is, that is familiar and, and, and is the place that we go back to. But what does that mean for the church? What does that mean for the Christ follower in this world? What does that mean in our culture? What does it mean for the Christ follower who, who, who lives in light of eternity as missionaries here on this earth? What does that mean for us? How do we balance that out? My name's Phil, and I'm, I'm one of the pastors here at Mosaic, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's great to be with you guys today and to open up God's Word with you. Our lead pastor, Renault, has been on vacation for the last few weeks, and so over the last few weeks, we've been, we've been uh, sort of hearing from some of the other guys on the, the teaching team, and, and what we did uh, for this period of time while Renault has been away is we said, hey, you know what, let's jump out of the, the regular series and, um, and let's instead uh, just hear from your heart. So whatever God has been kind of laying on your heart, Go ahead and teach on that. And so for me, for a number of reasons, uh, this idea of home has been on my, my mind and heart quite a bit lately. Uh, it, was, you know, it was just a, a little over one year ago that my family and I moved here from New York uh, for me to join the team here at Mosaic and begin to, to make this our, our new home. And you know, your first year in a new place is kind of weird. It takes a while to kind of make it feel like home. It just takes, takes some time to kind of learn things and figure it all out. And uh, we've been living in this, this tiny little apartment with the, the five of us kind of crammed in there on top of each other. It's been a little tight there. And, and so we've been looking for a new house and, and searching all over the place and expanding our search and then getting rejected on offers and putting in more offers and getting rejected again. And, and just a couple of weeks ago, we finally did move into a, a home that we purchased in Claremont. And we're excited to be able to... Uh, thank you. That's great. Clap. Uh, we're excited to be able to kind of, you know, really put down roots and, and kind of delve in here. And that's, that's an exciting thing. But, you know, it's a strange thing to me how we put uh, so much stock in those things like a home, the physical space of a home. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's two-by-fours, it's drywall, it's roof trusses, it's cinder blocks, whatever. 
it's stuff you can buy at Lowe's and just kind of form into something, right? And yet, and yet we, put so much, we put so much into that. And we find so much comfort in those places. We, we spend a lot of time making them feel like ours. We, we spend a lot of time choosing colors and, and, and decorations and, and furniture. I mean, my wife has been going crazy on Pinterest for like the last three months as we've been getting ready to move into a house, right? Just, she's got a folder for every room in the house and all these different ideas. That's great. She enjoys that. That's cool. Um, I don't particularly understand Pinterest, but that's fine. Um, you know, but but we, we put so much effort into these spaces, right? Because we want a sense of home. We just spent some time on our vacation in the Northeast where we used to live and uh, we were visiting my parents' home in, in Maine celebrating their 50th anniversary and um, uh, that's actually never been home to me. They moved there after I was married. And so when we went there, it was, like, was kind of like going home because you walk into their house and like the furniture is the stuff I grew up with and the pictures on the wall are, are things that I remember from growing up. But, but I never lived there. I never lived in that house. And so that was never home for me. And then after that, we, we drove over to, uh, to Albany, New York, where, where my family lived for the last 11 years. And, and, and we were there kind of you know, in this place that we used to live, right? And, and we did this thing, we, we, we drove past our old house. Have you ever done that? Right, you drove past your old house, right? Someplace you used to live. And so we drove past and the, the new owners were out in the front yard, they were hanging out in the front yard and we're kind of driving by kind of slow. It was like, you know, probably freaking them out a little bit. We like drove past three times, just kind of checking it out. But, but you know, we're driving by and I'm looking at these people out in my front lawn, right, my front lawn. And I'm going, who are you? And like, what did you do to my grass? I mean, seriously, you, you've ruined the flowers in one year. Do you even water them? I mean, seriously, like, do I have to get out and give you some directions on this, right? Because you, you feel this sense of ownership over this physical space that you called home. And you can look through the windows. I didn't literally get out and look through the windows. That would be creepy. But you could look through the windows and think, oh, that's where, that's where my, one of my kids took their first step or... You know, I remember when we sat at that table and, and, and we, the first words came out or whatever. You know, first time your kid says, Dad, I was, all, that's, all those memories are in that physical space. And yet at the end of the day, we packed up, we took the pictures off the wall, we cleaned out the fridge, we grabbed the kids and we left. And it's not home anymore, even though there's a familiarity to it. And then while we were there visiting in Albany, we also um, visited the church that I used to pastor at. And that, too, was kind of weird because, you know, this was a place that I poured my heart and soul into for a long time. I, I, I helped start that church, and so the, you know, the incorporation documents have my signature on them, and, and the, all the leases were, were signed and drafted by me with landlords, and, and you know, just, we poured our heart and soul into this place for so many years, and yet God called us away so clearly to Mosaic, and so it, there's a familiarity to it, but it's, it's not really home anymore. And while I was there, I, I preached at that church, and, and just kind of in a, in a moment of honesty there with that congregation, I said, guys, you know, it's really weird for me being back here, because in one sense, it kind of feels like home. Things kind of feel the same. It, it even smells the same. Uh, our church there rented a microbrewery for their, their gatherings. Um, so for me, the smell of hops and barley are forever associated with church, just kind of how it works for me. It's kind of Pavlovian at this point. Um, but, you know, it, it smelled the same, and we're seeing people that are friends that we've, we've known for years, but, but then at the same time, we've been gone for a year, and in a growing church, one year, you get a lot of new people coming in. And so a church can be like a river. Every time you step into it, it's, it's a little bit different, right? And so it was weird to be back there because it, it was kind of home, but not really home. But then at the same time, we've only been in Florida for a year, and they say it really takes a couple of years to, to make a place a home. And so 
this, this doesn't quite feel like home yet. We're getting there. We're moving there. But it's, it's not quite there yet. It just takes time, right? So we're kind of in that in-between phase. And then uh, while, while we were there in New York, we also drove a little further west over to, um, uh, to where my wife used to live in, in Binghamton, New York, where she grew up. And, and we stayed at her dad's house. And she hasn't lived there in like 20 years. So the only thing that's really familiar there is like your favorite you know, upstate New York Italian restaurant. That's all you've kind of got to latch on to at this point after 20 years. And so we spent time there. And then finally we made our way back to Orlando. And in, in all of that driving around in those places that feel familiar and that are loaded with memories, and then headed back to Florida, a place that is becoming familiar, and, and we're adding memories. We just had a lot of thoughts about, you know, what is home, really? What, what does home mean for the Christ follower? Is it a physical space? Is it people? Is it geography? How does that, how does that change for the Christ follower? Is it different? Is, is it the same standard? How do, we, how do we live here on this planet and, and embrace and enjoy all that God's given us here and yet do so in light of eternity? How do we, how do we wrestle with that? And it's interesting because when you look at the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, what you find is that the idea of home is really not tied to a, a physical space at all. It's, it's tied to, to safety. It's about a, a place to retreat to. It's, it's about uh, family and, and sharing meals and community. It's about a sense of, of national identity that transcends geography, even after they were given the promised land. And at the same time, uh, in the Old Testament, when you see these people who are, are tied to, to kind of those things, there's also this idea of, of the sojourner, that, that sort of is a thread throughout Scripture. And the idea of the sojourner is somebody who's, who's visiting from a different land. They're, they're not from there, but they're, but they're there, maybe even for a long time. And, and yet they're strangers. They're, they're not really from that space. And, and especially in, in that culture, uh, imagine today a, a small rural village in, in a third world country when the visitor from, from America or, or some other Western country comes in uh, it, they, they seem like this strange, interesting person because they're from this whole other culture. They're a stranger. They're, they're a foreigner. They're, they're a sojourner in that place. And so they, they're fascinating. And that would have been the case in the Old Testament culture as well. The, the sojourner captivated your, your imagination because they were from this other place that you've never heard of. And so we find this idea of the sojourner in Scripture. And, and then I was thinking about Orlando. And we are like an entire city of sojourners, Right? No, everyone here is, is, is really kind of from some, somewhere else. One of the first questions you, you ask when you meet someone new is, so where are you from, right? Because the assumption is, you're not from here. That's kind of the assumption, right? In fact, when you meet somebody who says, actually, I've, I've lived in Orlando my whole life, and, and, and my family's been here for several generations, we kind of look at them like, like there's some sort of odd specimen to be studied, right? <laughs> you know, like, like, wait a minute, so y- you were here before Disney? Like back when it was just oranges and cows, you lived here. Wow, that's fascinating, right? We, we think that's really interesting. Uh, I remember the first time that I, I heard someone refer to themselves as a, like a third-generation Florida cracker. I was really uncomfortable. And I'm like, I don't, think, um, I don't think you're allowed to say that. I think that's, pretty sure that's like politically incorrect. You might want to, but apparently not in Florida. It's okay here. But almost everyone here in Orlando is, is from somewhere else. They have some other place that they call home, some other place that, that they used to live, some place where they go back to, where, where they've got family still. Or, or, or maybe not. Maybe you're, maybe you're like me, where you're kind of unsure what to, 
What's a call home? You know, personally, I was, I was born in, in Sackville, New Brunswick, Canada, which is like way in like a place you don't care about. It doesn't really matter, but, but it's way up there. It's in this kind of far over. It's actually a slightly different time zone than the eastern, which tells you how far out it is. Um, but I was born there, and then when I was six years old, I moved to Toronto, Ontario, and then when I was 12 years old, I moved to Boston, Massachusetts, and then I went to college in Philadelphia, and I went to grad school in Dallas, Texas, and and then we moved to, to Albany, New York for 11 years, and, and now we live in Orlando, and we hope to be here for a long time. But, you know, when, when Facebook asks me what my hometown is, I'm like, ah, just leave that blank. We don't need to fill that one in. That's fine, right? So, so what, is, what does home mean for the Christ follower in the midst of a culture that is transient, that, that doesn't necessarily place a lot of, a lot of value on, on the city or the, the idea of living in one place your whole life. Where is the consistent thread for us as we find our home over a lifetime? Let me bring you to one of the Psalms. Let's go back and learn from the Old Testament followers of God. Turn to Psalm 84. It's on page 316 of the Bibles that are under your chairs. Psalm 84, I'm going to start in verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. You see how the Old Testament followers of God saw the place where they went to worship and meet with God as home. Blessed are those who who dwell in your house. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. Now in the context of the Old Testament, the psalm, this psalm would have been about the temple and, and, and the place where the Jews went to go and worship. But that concept of finding a home with God's people in worship, with God's community in worship, carries on into the church era today. Have you ever been visiting another church and and like right away you just felt at home there? And maybe the music was awful and maybe the the, the teaching was really boring or something, I don't know. But, But you just, you sensed because you were surrounded by the followers of Jesus, fellow followers of Jesus, that you were at home with these people. Because you knew that there was a, uh, a connection that you were sharing with these people that, that transcended uh, church name, it transcended denominational affiliation, it transcended geography. You knew that this was a group of people that you were going to spend eternity with. And you had the gospel in common, you had Jesus in common. We unify around Jesus. We are at home when we are with the Spirit-filled, Christ-centered, God-glorifying people. That's our home while we are here on this planet Earth. And that doesn't matter where you live. I, I love the words that the psalm uses when it says, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. See, the Christ follower will always feel that something is missing when they need to go long periods of time without worshiping with the community of faith. When they aren't worshiping with other Jesus followers, there'll be something missing. 
Because the church is designed to be a place of retreat. It's designed to be a, a, a place that, that strengthens you for mission. It's designed to feel like home. No matter where you live, now or in the future, it is critically important that you find a good church that takes the Bible seriously, that takes mission seriously, that calls you into greater and greater Christ-likeness over time. It's not about Mosaic Church, really. It's really not about Mosaic. It's, it's about Jesus' church. You know, we have a really cool story going on at Mosaic right now that demonstrates this truth so well. It's happening over at our Winter Garden campus. Um, our, our Winter Garden campus has been going for uh, about a year and a half now, and it's going strong, and things are going well. We're growing little by little. But today, we actually almost doubled in size in one day. I'll tell you why. Um, a few months back, uh, another church in Winter Garden called West Point Church came to our leadership and said, um, listen, um, uh, we would like you to consider just letting us join in with your story. West Point Church got started about 10 years ago. Uh, they have a very similar kind of trajectory as, as Mosaic. Same mission, same beliefs, same values, same vision, same desire to, to reach our city in, in kind of surprising ways with the gospel. But for whatever reason, uh, while Mosaic grew exponentially, for whatever reason, God chose to keep West Point smaller. And they've kind of trucked along well at just a little over 100. And they found that, that, that with all the effort that goes into set up and tear down and, and kind of the baseline stuff that takes to the, sort of push a church forward and, and have a community, they found that it, after all of that, they just didn't have as much time as they hoped for mission and for serving their community. And so they came to us and they said, could we just become Mosaic? We'd really, we really like what you guys are doing. And so we kind of looked at all of that and kind of went down the list, like check, 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 same, that's the same, yep, we're good here, all that's the same. Met with their elders, had some great time together, and, and today is their first day over at Winter Garden. It's great, it's so cool. Actually, uh, I drove over there in between the services just to kind of see how it was going because their service starts at 10 a.m. And uh, man, the place was packed. It was a lot of fun to just kind of see that happening. Got pulled over by a cop on the way over there. Just a little confession. Um, apparently, I tried to drove over a little too quick. Cop said to me, where are you, where are you headed? I said, church. <laughs> he said, well, do you have to be any, anywhere anytime soon? I said, well, I've got to preach in like 20 minutes. So <laughs> thankfully, he let me go with a warning. That was nice of him to do that. Uh, but you know, it's so cool to see West Point get plugged in over there because we, we had them visit in June for a couple of weeks and, and we said, hey guys, we, we just want you to like come and check this out for a couple of weeks before, we, you, know, before you kind of sign on the dotted line, so to speak, and, and, and really join in because we want, we want to make sure that you understand what you're getting into. And so they came and visited with us and afterwards we asked them like, hey, how, how did it go for you? What, how did that feel? And they said, you know, it just felt like home right away. Everybody was so friendly to us. Everybody was so welcoming. Our kids came home saying, man, we can't wait to go to... Kids' church at Mosaic again. Why? Because Christ followers united are, are at home. It, it doesn't matter. West Point Church doesn't matter. Mosaic Church doesn't matter. It's about Jesus' church. And how, how cool is it that God has chosen to give Mosaic the kind of reputation in our community that when a church reaches that point where they say, you know, I think this might be better if we fold in with someone else, that they come to us and they say, can we, can we just... We just be mosaic. How cool is that, that God's given us that kind of voice in our community? I can't wait to see what God's going to do with that in the future. 
Great people, great vision. So exciting to see them join in. So for the Christ follower, on this side of eternity, the church is our home. Now that doesn't negate what's going on in your physical home, right? That, that, the, the, the family that you're building, the spouse that you're building into, the, the parents that you're serving, the, the extended family that you're perhaps caring for, those things are critically important. There is a great responsibility in that. We have to take those things seriously. But we do so knowing that everything we experience here now is temporary. We do it all recognizing uh, that we have to see these things in light of eternity. And so the church, when it's working well, can and should feel like home. Your family can feel like home, but all of that is temporary. Everything we experience is temporary. Even the bodies that we pay so much attention to with, with exercise and, and diets and clothing are, are temporary. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 1. That's page 627 in, in the Bibles here. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 1. Listen to what Paul says. He says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, and when he says tent there, he's talking about our, our bodies. If that earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or or evil. This body and the body of, of those that you kind of do life with, they constitute a kind of home, right? But we have this acute sense that the bodily home is, is slowly rising up in rebellion against us. Some of you might feel that. You know, I, I love the phrase in this passage where it says, we groan because we want what is mortal to be swallowed up by life. We want what is mortal to be swallowed up by life. Any of you relate to that idea? Feeling like this home is just sort of, this mortal space is, it's just, it's fraught with mortality and you'd love to have it just swallowed up by life. So I, I turned 40 this year. Um, in December I'll turn 40. And um, uh, I won't tell you who else in my house is going to turn 40 shortly thereafter, but um, she shares a bed with me and a last name, and my kids call her mom, but I'm not telling you who it is. You didn't hear it from me. Um, but you know, when, when you're approaching milestones like 40, you start to become much more aware of your own mortality, right? Because your body starts to kind of, you know, get angry at you. And, um, 
This is why men around my age tend to buy motorcycles and convertibles, right? And they, they buy that car that they really wanted when they were 18 years old, but they couldn't afford it, and so they find it on eBay and they get it all fixed up, right? We call that the midlife crisis, right? Um, so I saw mine coming a few years early, and I, and I decided to get out in front of it and just schedule it. Just put it on the calendar, right? Just schedule it out. Um, so I scheduled my midlife crisis for January 12th of, of this year. Um, it went really well, by the way. It was a great day. Um, what I did, I ran a marathon for my midlife crisis. I figured just, just put it on the calendar, decide what you're going to do. So I ran a marathon for my midlife crisis. And uh, running, I'll use that loosely. Um, what I do is, is not very pretty and it's, it's not very fast. But I did finish. Um, that's the important thing, right? But we do these things, right? We, we sort of, we, we want to grab at something that feels like life and we want to kind of say, ah, I can still do this stuff. It's our our mortality. We want, to, we want our mortality to be swallowed up by life, even if we're looking at the temporary things of this earth to do it. We're dealing with the fact that our bodies are, are slowly dying, and so we try to cajole them into doing things that they perhaps haven't done before. Side note, um, the marathon as a midlife crisis, way cheaper than a Harley. Just <laughs> putting that out there for you guys. Um, so so we're, cur- we're currently on the short side of eternity, right? And what did the passage we just read say? It said, while we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord. And I was thinking about that, that reality and how we, when we talk about our, our spiritual lives, you know, we'll say things like, you know, I was spending time with God this morning in, in the scriptures, or, or you'll say it was great to be, you know, uh, opening up God's Word and being with, with God's people and, and meeting with the Spirit and, and, and all, right? We use all that kind of terminology to describe being with God. A- and yet, the verse says that while we are in our body, we are away from the Lord. And so what you realize is that no matter what experience you might have in this body on planet Earth, it, it pales in comparison to what we'll experience with God. To use the, the, the language of 1 Corinthians 13, right now, we, we look through a glass or a, or a mirror dimly. We look, we look through it darkly. But then, we'll see clearly, and we'll know fully, just as we are fully known. So everything that we experience is a little bit cloudy. Our experience of God is a little bit cloudy because we're, we're tied to these mortal bodies, you think about this for a minute. Think about the most transcendent spiritual experience that you have ever had in this world. And then recognize that it's, it's just a fraction of what you'll experience in eternity. Think about the, the best time you've ever had in worship or in devotions. The, the, the best, most highest mountaintop experience in your faith. It, it doesn't even compare to what we'll experience when we're spending eternity with Jesus. The, the beauty that we can experience here on this earth doesn't even touch the beauty of an eternity with Jesus. And, 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 and what does that do for our concept of home? Even that is cloudy then, right? When we recognize that this is not our eternal home. So what do we do then? Well, why, why is it that, that everything we experience here even the good things, even the things that God has provided for us, leave us longing for something more, something that, that lasts. Look at 
Philippians 3. Philippians 3, verse 20. We read there, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. Jesus transforms our soul with the gospel now. In the future, he will transform our bodies as well. Isn't that something to look forward to? Depending on your age, you feel that more or less than others. We long for that. We long for it. We long for that transformation to happen. And, and who will we spend eternity with? We'll spend it with the church. And so we, we spend the, the earthly days here in our home with Jesus' followers, and then we spend eternity in our final home with Jesus' followers. Do you ever watch the, the news and, and find yourself longing for heaven? I mean, you just turn it on, and you look at all the crazy stuff going on around the world. Just in the last couple of weeks, I look at this and I think, man, you've got... You've got bombs over Gaza. You've got uh, planes being shot down in the Ukraine. You've got uh, people running from a, a culture of crime, refugees. You've got the Ebola virus in Africa growing. You've got human trafficking on the rise. And, and that's, that's just the headlines from the last couple of weeks. And you look at this and you just find yourself with a, a deep weariness in the soul. You just find yourself longing for this earth to be redeemed, longing for the return of Jesus, longing for heaven. What do we do with that? How do we live in the now and in the not yet? How do we balance that tension out? Look at Hebrews 11, starting in verse 1. That's page 652 in your Bibles. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Listen to what the author says. He says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then the passage will go on to walk through kind of a, a lineup of all these different faithful people who lived their, their lives in light of eternity, even though they didn't fully understand what that means. And so we, we read about all these different people. We read about Abel and Enoch and Noah, and Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and so many others. And the passage talks about how many of them endured torture and homelessness and imprisonment and murder. And what does Paul say of their experience on this earth as it pertains to eternity? So take a look at verse 13. Jump down just a little bit. It says, They all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. 
For people who speak this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And the author says, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. See, we look around at the world and all that we experience and we say, what at the end of the day is home? We, we can look at our bodies and they, they might feel like home, maybe, maybe not, but they're failing us. They're temporary. And so we look at, at our families, our spouses and kids, parents, close friends, and they might be spread out all over the place. My family lives in like 15 states, if you count my wife and I. We're spread out all over. But we, we look at our family and we want that to feel like home. We, we should enjoy them, but we also do that in light of eternity because we know that God might call your kids to be missionaries in another country and you might see them every two years because we're always living in light of eternity. The places we live, the, the houses, the, the physical space we occupy can begin to feel like home. And that's good to enjoy that as God allows, but that's temporary. The cities we live in, the roads we get to know, the favorite restaurants, those things can feel like home, and we can enjoy them. But we do so in light of the, the fact that they're temporary. This is not eternal. So why does all that feel so temporary? Why does, it, why does it leave us wanting more? Even all the great things that God provides for us. Because at the end of the day, we're strangers, and we're exiles, and we're sojourners in this world. This is not our final home. We're seeking our true homeland. We're seeking a better country. We long for heaven. So what do we do right now? What do we do right now where we live, in this place, in this world, in the midst of all the beauty that we can find here, the nature, art, music, relationships, so much beauty to be experienced here? How do we, how do we live in, in both places? How do we both enjoy creating memories in this world, knowing that our eternity will look very different how do we do all of that? Well, we have to begin to recognize that, that when we live in light of eternity, we can't set all of our time and energy on things that are temporary. And that's what we do so often, right? We put 90% of our effort into the things that are temporary and maybe 10% into the things that are eternal. We put the vast majority of our, our time into those things that are going to pass away. We spend our days chasing after things that will be ultimately a temporary thing. Instead, we have to reorient ourselves and say, if I'm truly living in light of eternity, then while I might enjoy the things that this world can offer, I do so always with an eye towards figuring out how does this bring God glory in the midst of this? How does something as simple as a home bring God glory? How does, how does my work, which may feel temporary, bring God glory? How do we take those things that are temporal and give them eternal meaning? We treat every space, 
every opportunity as an opportunity for mission, as an opportunity for the gospel, because that's what lasts. The stuff we accumulate, the career that we build, the life that we create, these things are, are temporary unless we attach eternal meaning to them by handing them all over to God, by handing them all over to be used for the gospel. That's how we live in the now and the not yet. We are freed up when we recognize our eternal calling. We are freed up to live as missionaries in this space. We're freed up because this is not our home. Dorothy was right. There's no place like home. We're just not there yet. And so we live in light of eternity. We live as, we live as strangers. We live as exiles. We live as sojourners in this space. And we live on mission. And we long for heaven. Let's close. Father God, thank you so much for your word. God, we, we pray that, that you would, through your wisdom, through the wisdom that can only come through the indwelling of your spirit, that you would give us a sense, as we look at our own lives, of what is temporary and what needs to be shifted and focused in a different direction, what needs to be gotten rid of altogether. God, we want our lives to matter on this planet for eternal purposes. So I pray that you would teach us, reveal to us the things in our lives that need to have their center of gravity shifted towards the eternal. We pray that you would do that in our hearts, in our families, in our homes, in our church. And we would do that to your honor and to your glory. Pray these things in your name and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you.